Christy, how you doing? Doing all right? Okay. Welcome to week two of Christmas Unwrapped. We are exploring the expectation of Christmas as a season, uh, as a holiday, and really the story, and then the reality of Christmas. Uh, recently, a friend of mine introduced me to a TV show that I feel like helps explain this really, really well. I don't know if you guys are into baking shows on Netflix, uh, but I recently started watching one called Nailed It. Anybody have seen this show? Everybody say Nailed It. Nailed It. All right, so here's, here's how this works. The judges are going to present um, a cake, and this is the expectation. Hey, you're going to take this cake. This is what it looks like, and we expect you to bake a cake that looks like this cake. But what we find is that the reality of what they present and then what actually comes to pass, very different. For instance, our first cake here that they present, really simple smiley face cake, right? Okay, this is what they came up with. Nailed it, right? Okay, so pretty simple cake, didn't work out so well. Second one here I saw on the show, this is like um, koala bear, like a three-story koala bear here, look really cute. Then what the contestant came up with was like, some, I don't know what that is. So nailed it. Third one here. We have like a little doll, Cinderella, Cinderella looking thing. And then, and then here, Cinderella. Uh, Cinderella, S I N, Dorella. That's scary. And then personally, when I was Googling these, I found this one and I actually really like this. I feel like this communicates super well. Expectations. Uh, in reality, is this like when I wear a tight shirt, how I feel, and then how I look. So, <laughs> y'all remember that skit with the cowbell? Nobody, okay, nobody's seen it. Praise God. What have we done? What have we taught this church? So, we have a stark difference in the expectation and in the reality. And, and Christmas has a way of bringing this to the forefront even more. Um, I believe, for Christians. So we, we understand this, as Donnie said last week, when it comes to like presents or it comes to plans. You had this expectation, and then there was the reality of what you received or what you experienced. But, but what about people? When it comes to Christmas, when it comes to family, when it comes to following Jesus, what about people? You see, we have these expectations of Christians, right? Now, if you're new to church, for you, this may be the thing that's kind of kept you at a distance for so long. You think, wow, you know, Christmas and these Christians, they're all just so nice and neat. They're so orderly. They're wearing their spiritual suits. And if I were to come and be a part of their community and they were to unwrap my life, what they would find is a mess. Or maybe for you, you've been a Christian for a while and here you are gathering with us, but in reality, you're struggling, but you don't feel the freedom to share those things because you think, you know what, hey, we've got to keep this concealed, we've got to be nice and neat, this is what Christians are about, this is what Christmas is about, this is what everybody portrays, and so internally I'm struggling, but all I'm doing is actually hiding. So for the non-believer, it, it keeps you away, and for the believer, it keeps you stuck. This is what happens, the expectation. But the tension this morning, though, that I want you to consider is, you think Jesus came for people in nice suits. You think Jesus came for people who were 
presented really well and nice and neat. And so until you find your spiritual suit, you can't, you can't show up. You can't show up to church. But what we find actually is that Jesus showed up to a community that thought they were in spiritual suits. Listen to this in Luke chapter 11, verse 39. Jesus says, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. And what Jesus says when he shows up on the scene is he says, listen, Pharisees, you think you're wearing suits? Guess what? You, my friends, are wearing ugly sweaters. You are wearing ugly sweaters, folks. The ugliest of sweaters. Now that we've gotten that out of the way. I was afraid to preach this message in this sweater, but we're just going to go with it. It will work in the end. Listen, now why does this matter this morning? As we, as we dig into the text, why does this matter? If we are going to truly celebrate, if we're going to truly remember and celebrate our Savior, this is what we're going to get to next week, we're going to celebrate our Savior, here's what we have to remember. We have to pause and we have to remember that you're a sinner. Listen, if we're going to celebrate our Savior, we have to remember that truly, honestly, listen, the real reason for this season is the sinner first. This is the season for the sinner. The title of our message, very simply, is that this is the season for the sinner. Christmas is a season for the sinner. If you have a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 1. And we are going to begin in verse 18. Donnie read this exact same text. You're like, wow, real original, bro. We're going to read it again. But what we're going to do is highlight a different portion of Scripture that's going to be our focus this morning that I believe speaks to this very idea and is extremely powerful. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. Matthew tells us the story, and this is how, what Matthew says. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And here's, here's our key verse for this morning, okay? She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. As we began last week in our series, Christmas Unwrapped, we unwrapped the reality of God's plan. The story here of Christmas is one we would have never wrote ourselves. It's one we would have never wanted to be in ourselves. And we, re, we unwrap the reality of God's plan in contrast to our expectation. But here what we see is the reality of God's purpose, specifically for God's people. Christmas is the season for sinners. I'm going to give you three points this morning that I think highlight and help us understand this text well. And speak to this idea that this is a season for sinners. All right, you guys ready for this? 
So point number one. Here's point number one. Jesus Christ came for sinners. And if you take notes, you want to put this down, really simple, I know. Jesus Christ came for sinners. Shocking idea, but, but hear me here. In the Bible, when Jesus Christ shows up, people who sin, you know what they're called? Sinners. I know, mind-blowing concept, I know. Jesus shows up. People who sin, they're called sinners. Now, here's why this is important. You know what they're not called? They're not called mistakers. They're not called failures. They're not called good triers. No, when Jesus shows up, people who sin are called sinners. Now, the reason this is important is because I am totally okay with making mistakes. I, I mean, I'm totally okay with failing at times. I mean, there's a whole mantra on failing. you got to fail to be a winner. You know, we flip the script completely. And everybody believes it's okay to not be perfect. I mean, nobody's perfect, right? Everybody believes that. But, but here's the distinction. When Jesus shows up, they're not called failures. They're not called mistakers. It's not, hey, good try. It's, it's sinners. You see, here's what's crazy. Sin sounds messy, right? I mean, sin, the word sin, it just sounds evil. It sounds like intentional. And that's exactly right. That's exactly what it is. And that's exactly what he calls it, sinners. In the beginning, sin entered the world through one man's sin, not one man's mistake, not one man's failure, one man's sin. This, in Bible talk, we call this the fall. Now, I know some of you are like, oh, I love the fall. I mean, I love the fall, right? Foliage, foliage. It's beautiful. This is not a pretty fall, okay? This is a horrible fall. This is when sin entered the world, and here's what happened. When sin entered the world, the Bible says that everybody received a sin nature. That when you were born, you were conceived with a sin nature. Here's what that means. It means sin is what comes natural to you. Sin is what comes natural to the person with a sin nature. And Jesus Christ came for sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. Because of the fall, you were born with a sin nature. And here's what this means. When Jesus, when Jesus Christ came, he had to come for sinners because everyone was a sinner. He had to come for sinners because everyone was a sinner. In Luke 5, Jesus says it like this. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Church, who did Jesus Christ come for real quick? Sinners. God, God didn't send Christ to the cross for mistakes. He sent him for sins. And Jesus Christ didn't come for people in suits. He came for people in ugly sweaters. Sinners. Jesus Christ came for sinners. The second point is this. If you want to write this down. And this is, this is powerful. Jesus Christ came through sinners. He came for sinners, and he came through sinners. In Matthew, turn back to verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Before we get to the Christmas story, Matthew introduces us to Jesus' family tree. 
And when he opens the text in chapter 1, verse 1, he begins with one of the most powerful statements where he says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew's audience was a Jewish audience. So when he writes this, this is very particular for his context. They know exactly what he's saying. Matthew is saying that the person I'm about to tell you about, the family tree I'm about to present to you, is of the most prominent person in the universe. This is the person you've been waiting for for thousands of years. This is the anticipated Messiah, the one who's supposed to save you, to redeem you, to free you. He's the son of Abraham, the covenant that you have. He's the son of David, the king that you're going to expect. This is the most important person ever. Now, here is his family tree. And let's just run through these real quick. I'll list their names. Abraham, father's Isaac. Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, Judah. Judah, Perez, and Zerah, underline, whose mother was Tamar. They just randomly throw that little note in there. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, Ram. Ram, Amenadab. Amenadab, Nashon. Nashon of Salmon. Salmon of Boaz, underline, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz of of Obed, Obed, or whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse of King David, and I love this little liner note here from our writer, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been another man's wife, Uriah. In only six verses here, that's all we're going to cover here, in only six verses, we are introduced to a myriad of different sinners. Abraham was a liar who kept saying that his wife was his sister, and giving her away to all these other men. Technically, she sort of was his sister, but that's got to get old if you're his wife. Jacob, his name means deceiver, and boy, he was. Does anybody even like Jacob? Anybody in here? No, nobody does. Third, Judah. Judah Judah dishonors his daughter-in-law, who then disguises as a prostitute, who then sleeps with him, and so he has a baby through his daughter-in-law, who then Jesus comes from that line. It gets messy. It gets even worse. Salmon, whose name is Fishy, but married a good wife. Rahab. Rahab was a Canaanite prostitute, so it's like a double whammy there. They had a kid named Boaz. Boaz married, I'm just going to keep going, Boaz married Ruth, who was a Moabite woman, uh, people you couldn't even converse with in community, and then Jesse fathers David, David who was a man after God's own heart, and yet later in his life uh, kills a man, steals his wife, sleeps with her. The point is, Jesus came through sinners. In just six verses of Jesus' family tree, we're introduced to murderers, liars, prostitutes, adulterers, deceivers, and incestual fathers. Anybody else feel like their family is doing all right? You're like, listen, Ma, I don't know. I read the Bible this week. I think we're doing all right. You should invite Dad over. Jesus came not just for sinners, but through sinners. Now, I want to clarify, Jesus Christ was holy. He was not a sinner. He was perfectly sinless. But here's what's mind-boggling, is Jesus was not afraid to be identified with sinners. He was not afraid to be identified with sinners. It, It was no coincidence that this was pinned as his family tree to communicate that God is not afraid to get messy. You see, you think that because of your sin, you can't come to him. But the scripture says that Jesus came through them. 
Jesus came through sinners. He came for sinners and he came through sinners because he's not afraid to get messy. Now, now hear me. As a church, we can be notorious for being afraid of messy people. We're notorious for this. Ah, I don't know, dude. Like his sin, his life, I don't know, like these things. It just feels messy. It just feels messy. We say all the time our mission at ACC is to connect and reconnect people with God. Now, church, what do you think is in the middle of connect and reconnect? It's called disconnect. Disconnect is messy. Sin is messy. And Jesus came for sinners. He came through sinners. And here's the last thing I want you to write down. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Look at our main verse. In verse 21 it says that she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Can we just say Jesus? What a powerful name. Can you imagine the first time that name was ever uttered out of a mouth? The angel says, you're going to give him the name Jesus. What a holy moment. And then, and then the angel says, because he will save his people from their sins. Bob Utley, the theologian, he says that Jesus came for three distinct purposes. Now, Jesus came for a lot of purposes. But if we were to summarize these as his primary purposes, Jesus came to reveal the Father. The Father. That means this is what God is actually like. There's been a lot of talk about God. I know you've heard a lot about God. Most of it's wrong. Here's what he's like. The Father. The second thing is he gave you an example to follow. So Jesus comes to exemplify this is what it looks like to follow me, to follow God. But the third and primary reason that precedes both of those is he came to forgive you. That means to redeem mankind from sin. There's no point to be reconciled to a father if you can't be forgiven of sin because you're still separated. And there's no reason to have an example to follow if you're still stuck underneath the penalty of your sin. So Jesus had to first come to redeem mankind from sin. He came to forgive you of sin. He came to save sinners. That's what Jesus came to do. That was his purpose. We know that particularly in the Bible, your name, your name meant something, right? When you were named something, it wasn't just random. We just throw out random names. Like I'm naming my daughter, you know, Superstar, you know, you're just like, I don't know, like nowadays there's a lot of different names, beautiful names, but in the Bible, your name spoke to your family circumstances or it spoke to, you know, your history. It could speak to your purpose or your calling. And the name Jesus is the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is the, the name for God. It means God saves. Literally written in his name is this purpose. Jesus came to save you from your sins. Peter, it meant rock. Abraham, it meant father. Jesus is Savior. God saves. The Apostle Paul said it like this. The greatest Christian ever, by the way, says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to what? Save sinners of whom I am the worst. Really, Paul? Really? You're the worst? And he believed it. That wasn't false humility, guys. Wouldn't have been pinned. 
Here's a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. That's what he came to do. Jesus came for sinners. He came through sinners. He came to save sinners. Jesus Christ, he came for sinners. He came through sinners. He came to save sinners. So church, what does this mean for you? When it comes to unwrapping the story of Christmas, I don't know what expectation you had, but this is the reality. This is the reality that you can unwrap. That Jesus, he came for sinners, he came through sinners, he came to save sinners. And as we celebrate a savior, you need to remember you're a sinner. So here's what this means. Church, you, my friends, are pre-approved. You are pre-approved. If you are looking for a savior, my friend, you are pre-approved. Because the prerequisite for a savior is a sinner. And my friend, you are pre-approved. You are a sinner. Jesus came for sinners, through sinners, to save sinners. Our sin, our sin, it cost him his life. It caused him to come to life. It caused him to pursue and save us. So the question is, if that's true, then, then what do I need to do? What do, I, what do I need to do? If Christmas is the season for sinners, this is the reality, then what do I need to do? And, and here's what I want to do, church. I want to close with three very simple applications you can consider as we walk, walk away today with the reality that this Christmas season, it's, it's for the sinner. Are you ready for this? Three applications. Here's the first one, church. Number one, you're going to have to own your sin personally. Number one, own your sin personally. I don't know if you guys have heard of this organization. It's called Alcoholics Anonymous, AA. Very popular organization. Um, not particularly a Christian organization, but definitely a deist in the sense that they believe in God. Now, a friend of mine who comes to church occasionally is actually like a huge ambassador for this organization. Travels around, speaks, incredible story, was an alcoholic for decades, and then was freed from it. But Alcoholics Anonymous has a 12-step program, if you've ever heard of this. And it's essentially like these core tenant beliefs um, that they subscribe to that help them come from this bondage out into freedom. And as I was reading through these, the first um, core tenet or point is this. It says that we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. So in order to even start with pursuing sobriety, in order to even start with pursuing freedom, here's what we have to do. We got to admit we're powerless over alcohol. We're powerless. We're not controlling it. It's controlling us. And our lives have become unmanageable. The first step to get free is to admit I'm bound. That's the first step. So when you realize you're a sinner, the first thing you have to do is own your sin personally. Nobody can own it for you. You have to own it for yourself. You have to own it before God. David, the writer, the great psalmist, he said it just like this in one of his most powerful psalms right after his most grievous sin. Here's what he says in Psalm 51. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, God. And then you fast forward to verse 10, and here's what David says. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit. And I love this. Listen to verse 13, guys. Here's what David says. Then... I will teach transgressors your ways, 
so that sinners will turn back to you. Listen, David says this. He says, you want to be a minister? you got to first admit you're a sinner. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. It means until you own your sin, you can't ever lead some away from their sin. Once I own my sin before Jesus, now I'm going to go out and I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. I'm going to teach them that you forgave me because I own my sin personally and now I'm going to go minister. But before I can even do that, I've got to admit I'm a sinner. I've got to own my sin personally. The second thing is this. I've got to be honest in community. Number one, I've got to own my sin personally. But secondly, and just as important, I've got to be honest in community. In Alcoholics Anonymous, their fifth point is this, that they have to admit to God, to themselves, and to another human being the exact nature of their wrongs. That they have to admit to someone else what they've done. I've said this before, church, but one of the ways that we can be better together is if we learn how to be broken together. If we learn how to be honest together. Now, this is very difficult. It is very difficult to come into church and to take off your suit and to show your sweater. Honesty is very difficult. It's very vulnerable. We call it, or Lance Witt calls it, image management. It's the temptation to always present this perception. And I feel this pressure all the time for this presentation that I have to show you. But it keeps me stuck. I'll never forget years ago, our young adults ministry had went to a winter retreat. And so we had headed out of town. We were at this winter retreat. And I was actually uh, leading worship for the retreat. So I was on stage. It was coming to the final night of the retreat. And our speaker, uh, was, who was preaching just a really powerful word, but decided at the end of his message to do an altar call. Now, if you're new to church, what this means is you call people forward uh, essentially to own their sin, to ask for prayer, to confess before God, to give their life to Christ. But in this particular situation, his altar call was, was specific. And here's what he said. He said, I'm going to leave this microphone here at the front. And if you'd like, you're going to come up, grab the microphone, and you're going to confess your sin to everybody. Everybody. And he left the microphone, and he just kind of standing there. And so I'm on stage, and I'm, you know, like, you know, playing my guitar just in the background, like, woo. And I'm just thinking, I wonder if anybody's going to come. And for a while, it's dead silent, nobody's coming. But then I noticed to my left, a friend of mine who was a leader in our group, very well respected among the group, starts walking forward grabs the microphone, and begins to share with us uh, a sin or a struggle that this person had had for most of their life. And as they were sharing this, it was so powerful that in the moment as I looked on, I started, I started weeping, watching this person bear their soul in front of this community of people. And as I looked out into the crowd of people, what I noticed was, other people were weeping and sobbing as they listened to this, this godly person share and bear their soul. And what happened was the room shifted. And all of a sudden, dozens of people started coming forward. 
Dozens of people started lining up and sharing their sin, confessing their sin to other people. Something shifted. Now, you may say, well, Ryan, that sounds messy. It absolutely was messy. We had to Clorox that whole place afterwards. It was so messy. It was extremely messy. But here's what it took. It took one person's honesty for the whole community to experience healing. It it took one person taking off their suit, walking forward, showing their sweater for everyone else to feel as if they had the freedom to do the same. And many people left that night showing their ugly sweater. Now, am I, am I saying that, that that's obviously an extreme example? I don't expect you to come here to the front and be like, Ryan, let me see your mic real quick. You're talking here. Um, but it could, be, it could be sharing with one person. It, it could be sharing with your community group. But, but when we think about this season for the sinner, first, you've got to own your sin personally, but then you've got to be honest in community. You have to be honest in community. It takes that, that one person showing it, that honesty that creates healing in the community. And then the third thing that we see here, and our last point is this, you gotta walk in humility. Walk in humility. You gotta own your sin personally. Nobody can own it for you. You gotta be honest in community, but then you've gotta walk in humility. You see, realizing my depravity creates in me humility. Realizing my depravity, it creates in me a sense of humility. You you don't hear that word depravity a lot, right? Anybody, when's the last time you heard somebody saying, yeah, you know, depravity, gravity of depravity. That could be a message. If you were to take a true inventory of your life and you peel back the layers and you sit alone with God, you will find that there is, there is a darkness in you that, that you didn't even know existed. Tim Keller says it like this. He says, the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Than we ever dared believe. We are so great at deceiving ourselves. Walking past the mirror and never taking a deep look in because we are terrified of what we would see. But Tim Keller finishes it like this. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. Listen, knowing your depravity, it doesn't mean you have to be depressed. It does mean you have to be dependent. It it means that I'm going to have to come to God and my depravity is going to help me say, help me. My my depravity is going to help me go before Jesus and say, help me. It doesn't have to make me depressed as if I realize, man, I'm I'm so broken all the time. I'm struggling with sin. I'm, I'm fighting this in my life. No, but it has to make me dependent. It has to make me dependent. This is where humility comes in. It will make me humble because it will make me needy. It will make me come to Jesus and say, help me. Depravity will help me say, help me. And so when I remember I'm a sinner, what it helps me do is walk in humility. If you don't believe me, listen to what Jesus says, the story he retells in this parable, Luke chapter 18. Jesus says, to some who trusted in their own righteousness and viewed others with contempt, pause, to some who thought they were wearing suits, but they were wearing sweaters, but they were deceived, is what Jesus is saying. 
And listen how he finishes. He told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. That means somebody in a suit. One was a tax collector. That means somebody in a sweater. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Swindlers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector in this ugly sweater. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes on all I acquire. But the tax collector stood at a distance, unwilling even to lift up his eyes to heaven. Instead, he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. What's the word there? A sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This man realized, I'm a sinner. You know what it created in him? A deep sense of humility. Realizing his depravity helped him turn to Jesus to say, help me. And Jesus says, that man walked away justified. Because he recognized he was in an ugly sweater, not a suit. He walked away justified, not the other way around. You know, the least humble people in all of Scripture were the ones who wouldn't recognize their own depravity. The, least, the people with the least humility were those who would not recognize their own depravity. The Pharisees, the legalists, the scribes, the leaders of the church would not recognize the depravity that existed within them. And what it did was it never created humility. And yet Jesus came. He came for sinners. You see, I'm hopeless and helpless without a Savior. So here's... Here's what this means, church. If Christmas is the season for the sinner because Jesus came for sinners, he came through sinners to save sinners, what I need to do is, one, I've got to own my sin personally. Two, I've got to be honest in community to a, to a degree that's healthy. And then three, I've got to walk in humility. I've gotta, it's got to cause me to walk in humility. Because I remember... If Jesus came into the world to save sinners, then who do you think he's sending you to? If he came for sinners, through sinners, to save sinners, who do you think he's sending you to? He's sending you to sinners. And yet as Christians, we're mind-boggled that sinners sin. I can't believe how they're living. I mean, I can't believe the words they said to me. I can't believe the way they're acting. They're sinners. This is what sinners do. They sin. And Jesus came for those people. And he's sending you and I to those people. That's what he's doing. I love this. Martin Luther said it like this, and Kevin has said this before. We are all mere beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. We're all mere beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. It means I'm not better than one person I meet. I'm just a beggar trying to show them where bread is. So how can this message help you see the people around you, your coworkers and your neighbor, your family, 
in this Christmas season. Remember that when you, when, when you wake up for the Christmas morning to open presents with your family and to celebrate with your friends and to rejoice in the Savior, you remember that this season it exists for the sinner. That, that it exists for the sinner because Jesus came for sinners. He came through sinners to save sinners. And so as we close, I want you to consider a few questions. One, have you ever owned your sin personally? Have you ever done that? Have you ever owned your sin personally? Nobody can do it for you. A pastor can't do it for you. A priest can't do it for you. Your, your dad and mom can't do it for you. You. Second, have you ever admitted your sin in community? Have you ever opened up to somebody next to you or a friend or a confidant, a community group to say, hey, here's where, this is what I'm going through. This is where I'm at. And then third, has it created in you a sense of humility? Are you walking around self-righteous? Are you walking around as a legalist looking down on sinners around you realizing that you're a beggar around beggars? You just found bread. Has it created in you a sense of humility? And here's what I would tell you because really all of us all we're doing is welcoming each other into the ugly sweater club. I mean, that's it. It's as simple as that. So church, we're going to pray. And here's what we're going to do. If you were here last week, we um, opened up an opportunity for you guys. If you want prayer, we have a table right outside these doors um, with a sign called Connection Point. The focus of these people as they gather around this table is to simply pray for you, to pray with you. During our last worship song, I would invite you to just stand, um, walk out one of these side doors, and just head for some prayer. Ask for some prayer. Maybe for you, you just need to sit with the Lord personally right now. You don't need to get up. You don't need to leave. You just need to own your sin personally. Maybe you need to be honest in community. Or maybe you need to ask somebody to pray for you to walk in humility. I know that I do. I know I need to do all three of those things. Because like I said, the when I see that sin in me, it causes me to come to Jesus and ask him to help me. And so that's what we're going to do in this song. And I'd like to pray for us.